and a true historian of the early days of Dodge City. Before we get started with our show, I would like to thank all of our dedicated listeners. Each and every one of you has made this show a popular release, especially for those who love the stories of the Old West. Our worldwide listener loyalty is much appreciated allowing us to continue to climb the podcasting charts to over 13,500 visitors. Brad, what whiskey have you selected for us on this episode of Whiskey and Westerns on Wednesday? Well, Mike, today we've got nothing short of just a a classic Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, Uh, your friend and my old Knob Creek. Knob Creek, ah, so... Tell me, well, before we do a taste test on this, there must have been a reason why you selected Knob Creek for tonight's story. Well, simply put, Mike, you and I are a gentleman who enjoy drinking whiskey. Mm-hmm. And there's another fella in old Dodge who enjoyed drinking whiskey, and his name was Mysterious Dave Mather. Mysterious Dave Mathers. Now, Mysterious must have something behind it. So we'll talk about that. But what I want to do right now is let's take this Knob Creek to a test. Absolutely. Well, I uh, should lead out uh, Knob Creek. It's it's one of those, uh, uh, there's four of the, the small batch collection that comes from Beam Suntory, uh, put out by Jim Beam. Uh, Fred No, master distiller, man knows what he's doing. Uh, Knob Creek is one of them. Uh, then there's three more, uh, Basil Hayden's, uh, Booker's, uh, one I can't remember, the, uh, Baker's. Baker's, Baker's that's okay, it. okay. Booker's, yeah. Baker's, Candlestick Makers, and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Basil Hayden's. It almost course. sounds like Not, a... Knob uh, Creek, just to break yeah. the alliteration. It's a, it's a good, good whiskey, uh, 100 proof. Uh, used to be, it doesn't come with a, an age statement anymore, but... If you have an old bottle sitting around, maybe uh, folks you drinking at home, uh, it used to be aged nine years. They took the age statement off of that uh, two, three years ago. Now, because there was actually a shortage of Knob Creek, if that actually tells you how good it is, they just couldn't keep it in. Uh, so they worked real hard to keep that same flavor profile. But there's whiskeys in here that, that aren't necessarily. They might be a little younger than nine, might be a little older than nine, but 
But the overall age is about nine. Is about yeah, about the nine. They just take the label age. off, but you know, when you taste it, you're thinking you're tasting nine years. Well, there. speaking of flavor profile, mm-hmm. I tell you, and we we discussed this earlier, and I've I've had arguments over this more than once, and I'm telling you, you taste that, and I swear to God, Mike, you get red ripe gala apples dipped in peanut butter. <laughs> Okay. All right. So what what I'm going to need to do then is take a sip of this and tell you whether or not I'm going to taste the red apple and a little bit of peanut butter. Right on the front of your tongue. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. You see what I'm getting at? Well, I I get the red apple, but I'm not getting the peanut butter. Well, it's it's all subjective. It's probably something with your tongue. Well, let me take another shot here because I definitely want to see if I get that peanut butter taste. But uh, more more fun than that, after you've you've had a taste, go back there and just nose that a little bit, mm, and it yeah. becomes real rich uh, uh, maple syrup. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I, I got the maple maple syrup on, here, on the initial nose. It's a lot more than just that whiskey soaked oak. It's it's a hundred proof. Uh, you're you're definitely well. We better alcohol, we, we better slow down on the peanut butter then. We got to show. We got. We might want to have a sandwich to. I'm uh, thinking. Yeah, he's up on it. All right. So all right. Now we've got a taste test done. I'm saying that I haven't even got to the peanut butter part here, but. At least I know that there's a little red apple in there and some maple syrup. So, all right, let's talk about this mysterious Dave Mathers. One of my favorite fellows in old Dodge. I mean, every, a lot of these guys, you know, they had their their nicknames like, you know, Dirty Dave Rudabaugh, uh, Shotgun Collins. Uh, everybody had a nickname, so to speak. Mysterious Dave was aptly named. Uh, he was mysterious for a reason. Was that because he had a mysterious personality, or was that because he was just kind of a recluse and sat in the back of the room in a dark corner somewhere? Well, he definitely wasn't sitting in a dark corner. He, he tended to be the fellow that would be out there on the boardwalk, uh, leaning back in his chair with his his foot up on one of the, the awning posts. Matter of fact, there's a, a well, very well-known painting of Dave Mather uh, in that exact position. Uh, a lot of folks who knew him said he was often could be seen sitting like that. Uh, but very little is actually known about Dave Mather. Uh, we know where he was born. We know when he was born. We know we know who his parents were. There are stories that he may have been descended from Cotton Mather. Uh, he liked he, that story. In fact, he he says to him, I think he told that story himself. Oh, he did. Uh, you know, I'm from a descendant of, of, of the Mather family. And they did come from New England, so I'm, I'm inclined to, to accept that as true. But then everybody with the last name of Mather in that part of the country also claimed to be descended from Cotton Mather. So... Whether it is or whether it not, really doesn't have any bearing on his career from that point. Did it? Would it have any bearing on his personality? Well, he definitely liked to be top dog. Okay, so he was he, kind of a show. Let's say he then? wanted to be. He wanted to be known, have the reputation. Not that he necessarily worked that hard at it. It just sort of came natural to him. Uh, but really, the the only things that we can set in concrete about Dave Mather's life and career is much of the time that he spent in Dodge City, a little bit in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, and then, of course, back to Dodge. But beyond that, 
Uh, we can get to this later, but uh, Dave is one of the guys. He just sort of disappeared from the pages of history. So that's where you get the name Mysterious, mysterious Dave. Dave. I'll see. So he was very mysterious all in his entire life. Mm-hmm. And what I'm thinking is down toward the end of our story, there's going to be a mystery there, too. Oh, absolutely. All right. So let's start out with some of the legends of Dave Mathers and some of the stories that have been told around Dodge about this character, Dave Mathers, mysterious Dave Mathers. Well, as best as we we can guess, a lot of this is just hearsay, if not heresy. Um, we have Dave in Dodge around, at least by 1874, some guess even prior to that. Uh, we know that he became good friends with uh, Dr. Thomas McCarty uh, of Early Dodge, who was the, the only legitimate physician and one of the earliest settlers of Dodge City. Uh, as the story goes, uh, Dave, who had arrived in Dodge sort of on the run, he'd been involved with a, uh, a horse thievery operation down in Arkansas with uh, uh, Dave Rudabaugh, uh, Milton Yarbury. Uh, some of the good, some of the good guys of the Wild West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rudabaugh. Okay, well, that's another story to be told. Right. Rudabaugh comes and goes throughout just about everyone's story. When but he's involved in wrestling and stealing horses. I, he was a horse thief. Uh, there was a big oh, horse thief ring. That's and, a hanging offense in the West, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm and that was in Arkansas, stories. so he got the heck out of Arkansas. From Arkansas all the way up through Nebraska. Dodge was kind of a linchpin. Uh, in that uh, he was running with uh, a pretty big crew um, of horse thieves. Of, of horse thieves, absolutely. That's how Bat Masterson got famous, actually, in his lawman career, tracking down horse thieves. All right. So, but once he, he arrived in Dodge City, uh, sort of on the run, uh, he had gotten in a scrape in the Dodge House Hotel. Apparently, he just got slashed right through his gut. Somebody Ooh. just took a knife to him. So he got a big bellyache. Uh, he got one hell of a bellyache. <laughs> and Dr. McCarty reportedly saved his life. At least that's what Mather claimed. And during the time that Mather spent in Dodge City over the years, he, had, he made a deal with Dr. McCarty that he would send and occasionally pressure uh, anybody to go and see Dr. McCarty for their, their medical needs. Uh, there are rumors, of course, that he may have even uh, caused some of the injuries that they needed to go see Dr. It McCarty. It was more about. of a persuasive kind of thing. I'm going to hit you over the head with my pistol, and now you go see the doctor. He definitely felt that he owed Dr. McCarty, and, and they maintained a good relationship over no, the years. No, they were business partners. <laughs> I, you could call it that. That was as legitimate a business in early Dodge as anything was. Okay. All right. right. I, I conk them out and you fix them up. <laughs> well, uh, that's, again, that's one of those we don't have any concrete evidence for, but that story had been told so often by the people who, who that we can trust and, and you know, had, had legitimate reasons for, for not lying about that sort of thing. Tend to believe that that's one of the true stories about Dave. Uh, another one, and is one of my favorites. Uh, and this story has been told and retold so many times over the years. 
I just love it. I affectionately refer to it as the conversion of Dave Mather. Oh, so I hear this one coming. It's 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 kind of it's kind of like we're getting some religion here, right? Is that what's happening here? As as much as they yeah, can. Okay, yeah. okay. Dodge. So we've got some conversion of Dave Mathers. Dodge was sort of a uh, a goal for a lot of the the missionaries over the years. If you if you were out to bring Christ to Dodge City and you could survive your attempt, there was nothing you couldn't do. That may have been some funding going on for that. Oh, entirely possible, but uh, there was there were a couple of legitimate ministers who did finally set up shop in Dodge. Most of them who came through were just itinerant tent preachers trying to have a revival sort of thing. Well, one of these preachers sort of he set up shop. He really wanted to make it big. He was seeing some success, sort of a hellfire brimstone type guy, holy roller. He was getting people falling all over him and just re- feeling like he was really doing a good job bringing religion to Dodge City. So he was getting a good following. There was a large crowd. There was people, people that were actually coming to church mm-hmm. and listening to his revivals right. and saving a lot of souls. Well, this, this preacher man sort of got himself a big head over the deal. He, he mm-hmm. was, his success went to his head is oh, what I'm trying right, to say. Yeah, yeah. And he thought that if he, he had all these folks going, said the biggest sinner in Dodge City that he thought he could single out was Dave Matt. Oh, okay, so now what you're telling me is the preacher's got a big head now, and he's singling out mysterious Dave? Dave Matt. Oh, my. my! This is this is headed in the wrong direction. I can already see, but go well, ahead. He, he figures that it, it would be a feather in his cap if he could bring a man like Dave Mather to the Lord. And he made it very well known all over town. Says, we're, we're going to get Dave Matt. We're going to get him to come to church. And we're going to save his soul. And Dave Mather is going to be right with the Lord. And I, you're just going to see a change in that man. And it was getting so big all over town that Dave finally just decided to take the preacher up on his offer and attend a service. So he sent out his congregation, is what it sounds like to me, to recruit Dave Mathers to come to church. It got to the point where Dave just didn't really have a choice. I mean, he could continue to ignore it, but that wasn't going to change. It was only going to get worse. The townspeople were pretty much just pestering the hell out of him. Uh, They were. They were. Uh, If not him, he was hearing it around the streets. and The man has got a reputation to uphold. So Dave, being the uh, the man that he was, he decided to attend the service. And when they saw him coming, of course, it got to place of honor. Ush, uh, ushered him, excuse me, right up the center aisle. Gave him a spot right in front of the pulpit on the right hand side. And, and preacher man started preaching right to Dave. And, and I guess got, at that point in time, he took his position on the bench with his feet up on the pew. <laughs> <laughs> He may well have. I, okay. I can okay. see him in that. I've just added to the story now. I can definitely see him doing that. Uh, but he there he sits, uh, preachers preaching right to Dave, getting all up in the fear. He's got the whole crowd with their hands in the air. And, and finally, the preacher, he lays it on the line, says, if a man like Dave Mather will accept Christ today, says, 
there is nothing on earth that I, else on earth that I will be able to achieve in the Lord's work. And I'll just be ready to die right today and go straight to heaven. If only I'll get to go riding along with Dave Mather. And of course, the rest of the congregation just jumps up and they're all screaming, yes, yes, absolutely. We're willing to lay down our lives right now just, just to support Dave Mather and his conversion. And, and Dave was moved. He was, he was touched. So he got out of his position on the bench in the pew. He, he got up. Uh-huh. He got up, went up to the pulpit, turned around, and addressed the congregation. And he, yeah, he was very moved. It was their emotions were running, running hot and heavy. And he thanked, he thanked the preacher. He wasn't all teary-eyed, was he? I, I don't know that Dave really had any tear dust. No, that's kind of what I'm Hard telling, but yeah. I mean, he, he but, but he was somewhat emotional. He was very it. grateful. Okay, he was grateful for very the fact grateful. that he could come up visibly so, okay. verbally so, in front of the whole congregation. Oh, yes, there are uh-huh. plenty of witnesses to this. And he, he thanked him uh, from the bottom of his heart, uh, said that he was just so deeply moved by their willingness to lay down their lives just for him, and, and he was so touched that, that he knew the Lord had spoken to his heart. And Dave was ready to go. However, however, he knew himself and and he had a terrible fear of backsliding. Says, even though I believe my sins as of this point are completely forgiven, I'm, that ready, quick? I'm ready to die and go to heaven right now. I, I believe uh-huh. that. Okay, but, but, but I know me. I know uh-huh. myself. As soon as I walk uh-huh. out the tent, says Dave, I'm going to walk right back into my sinful ways. Uh, he was fearful then. He was fearful of that. And he says... That because of that, because I have such a terrible fear of backsliding, that if I am going to enter the Lord's presence, I need to do it right now, today, before I walk out of this tent. And because I am so grateful to each and every one of you here in this congregation for your willingness to take this journey with me, I'm going to have to just do it. And he pulls his gun and turns around and fires a shot right past the reverend's ear. And people start ducking. They freak out yelling. They're ducking out this out the tents. <laughs> running, hiding behind the pulpits, hiding under their pews, <laughs> running hither, hither, and yon. Tension and, is high. And Dave stands there with his gun in his hand and says, you sons of bees are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. You're not willing to die with me at all. And no. that's just all there is to that. And that was the last of the preacher man in Dodge City. So nobody would take Dave, Dave Mather's challenge then. And, nobody took him up on it. Ah, bunch, so, of, bunch of uh, hypocrites. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That is why you call him Mysterious, Mysterious Dave. Dave. All right. Well, what's, I tell you what. Before we go on, my ice is getting a little thin. All right. So let's help ourselves to another little bit of we'll pull a, knob. Pull a cork here. See if we can get that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't there know if they is. heard that or not. That's, right. a, that's a good sound oh. there. Yep. Thank you, All sir. Right. I will add a little bit to my glass as well. Okay. In celebration of mysterious Dave Mathers, we're doing a little bit of Dob Creek here. And the reason why we're doing the Knob Creek is because Dave was a known whiskey drinker. He liked a good drink as much as anybody and probably more than most. Uh, matter of fact, uh, during also during his time in Dodge City, in compliance with with common practice and the ordinance, uh, when he entered a saloon, he would fork his guns over to the bartender and 
when he got done, ready to leave, he'd take him back and go out. Well, Dave was a responsible man and got himself a system. So whenever he was ready to leave the saloon, got his guns back from the bartender, he would walk outside and fire a shot at the fire bell hanging off the building across the street. Uh, then alert the fire department? I Just to see if he could hit it. I mean, it was just a, a one-time It was just one of those shots. Am my vision good or is right. it bad or is well, my shots good? And then He figured if he could hit the bell and hear it ring, then he was sober enough. If he couldn't hit the bell, it was time to stop drinking and go home. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, it was you know, like one of those sobriety tests that you get from the highway patrol. <laughs> well, a little bit more fun than theirs. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, my dad was a trooper. I could have had to try him try okay. that out on the uh, on the Smokies out there. Uh, he, he could be going down now as the inventor of that test. The the field sobriety test. Yeah, field sobriety That's a good test. One. That's a good one. We'll have to add that. All right, but. Uh, We've talked about Luke McGlue mm-hmm. uh, in the past and all the, the practical jokes that, that Luke liked to play. Well, this one evening, this particular bartender in question was part of the Luke McGrew crowd. And he decided that it would be a fun idea to, while Dave was drinking, he took Dave's guns and loaded them with blanks. Well, so that, after uh, another couple hours, Dave's Dave deciding that maybe it's time to go home. He takes his gun back from the bartender, heads on out the front door, and levels his six-shooter at the bell across the street, pulls the trigger. Gun goes bang, but there's no ding on the bell. Tries it again. Gun goes bang, doesn't hit the bell. Dave decides he's too drunk. He can't hit the bell. It's time to go home. <laughs> of course, again, still well, not knowing he's got blanks in his gun. You know, that's kind of bad on the bartenders back into that because he's not selling any more whiskey to, to, to Mysterious Dave. It's more than worth just getting a laugh on Dave. <laughs> that's that's worth any price. Okay, so it's not about economics. It's that, really no about the humor of the story. So he's now got blanks in his guns. He's shot... At the bell, he's missed each time, and so now what happens? Dave just feels that he's drunk and depressed, and he's just going to head home for the evening. Well, he starts to get a little bit upset with himself because that's the first time he'd ever missed the bell. <laughs> and as he's he, never shot at it and missed it, he's never missed the bell yet. Oh my goodness! It must have been a big bell or a small bell or what? Dave was a good shot. A good shot. <laughs> drunk or sober, the man was a good shot. <laughs> So by by the time he heads down a couple of blocks down the street, Dave is starting to get pretty irritated. And he sees just a dog start crossing the street out in front of him, comes around the corner of a building. And Dave just, I mean, he wasn't necessarily a bad guy, but he was drunk and he was irritated and the dog was in his way and he took a shot at it and didn't hit the dog either. (laughs) I must have thought he'd gone blind. Fired two or three more shots. Still couldn't hit the dog. Point blank. Not only could he not hit the bell, he couldn't hit a full-grown dog almost point blank range. Mm-hmm. 
So he they, retired his guns that point in time. He, well, he he freaked out a little bit. Uh, Dave was. I don't necessarily know if he was a uh, superstitious man, but seeing that dog completely immune to his bullets, mm. it was a little bit too much yeah, for Drunken Dave, and he, he worried yeah. over that for yeah. two or three weeks. He must have had a little bit of Knob Creek that night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perhaps, perhaps. All right. So now we got uh, you got him with the preacher. You got him with... Um, I uh, shooting a dog and a bell. <clears throat> we call him Mysterious Dave, but I'm wondering how in the world uh, did he get involved with the Dodge City Gang? My name is Koji, and I'm Michelle, and this. This is the Japanese America podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mio. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. Well, Dave, again, was one of those fellas that uh, was just as happy on either side of the law. Uh, he, he tended towards wearing a badge, because that gave him legitimacy. But it didn't change his personality one iota, whether he was wearing a badge or not. He still wanted to be top dog. He, he still had his Even reputation. Even if he couldn't shoot a dog, he wanted to be top dog. I, yeah, you're right. He had his reputation, and he, he didn't want to lose it. Who does? But uh, as uh, his first real uh, lawman job so to speak, that, that we know of, came in 1879 when he was deputized by Bat Masterson along with a whole bunch of other guys, uh, John Joshua Webb, Dave Rudabaugh, he's back again, guys like Kench Riley, uh, um, even Doc Holliday was roped into this. So the enforcers the, are back in town. The enforcers, there was a, a group uh, of railroaders uh, they're called the Railroad Wars, really, just to, to put a finer point on it. There was two different railroads that were claiming right-of-way through the Royal Gorge in Colorado. Mm, railroad conflict going on here. Uh, absolute railroad conflict. And it got pretty bad to a point where they started hiring uh, gunmen. And Bat Masterson, who was not only uh, sheriff of Ford County at that point, but was also a uh, United States federal marshal, was brought in, said, you hire as many deputies as you can get your hands on, and we're going to go intimidate the other guys. And, and they, they did. It was, uh, there was quite the standoff, and they wound up lost. But they, the important thing is they were well-paid. So he went up there, got well-paid, mm-hmm. uh, joined enforcement, law enforcement at that point. Right. And, and I guess he kind of liked the idea of wearing a badge. He did. Uh, got a handle on it, liked the power. So you could swing your gun and be legal about it. Absolutely. 
so after the, the railroad conflict was settled, a bunch of these guys decided that now they'd done about everything they could do in Dodge City, and several of them went down to Las Vegas, New Mexico, and set up shop down there. And very shortly, they had completely taken over the town. Uh, Dave was a constable down there. Uh, Hoodoo Brown from Dodge. Was, oh, our uh, old Hoodoo Brown, the Buffalo Hunter. Our old friend Hoodoo Brown. He was, shows uh, up down in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Yeah. He was uh, Justice of the Peace down there. I didn't know he was that smart. Hey, you didn't you know, have he to, just, you didn't just have didn't to be like smart. Judge they Roy needed. Bean, he just picked up a buck and said, I'm the judge. All he needed was numbers and guns, okay. and, and they had him. Uh, it completely taken over the town. The politics, the law, all the legalities, they were running the place. And because uh, everybody knew where they were from, all these guys had been from Dodge City, even down in Las Vegas, New Mexico, they were called the Dodge City Gang. So their reputation followed them. Their reputation preceded yeah, them. Preceded them. <laughs> preceded them. And I so they stuck got, with them. Yeah. The legends followed. Absolutely. And so here they are. They took over Las Vegas, New they're, Mexico. They're running the place down there. Dave himself was involved in at least one shootout, uh, killed a guy down in Las Vegas. And it was just getting more than the town folks could handle. So they set up their own vigilante mob and ran, ran them out. Just, just about overnight, said we, they put out an ordinance that says all you guys need to leave or there's going to be a shooting war. <laughs> and they, these guys, the Dodge City gang, took it at face value and they set up shop and they just left. So, where do they go from there? Oh, Dave moves around for a little bit. Uh, several of the guys came back to Dodge. Uh, a lot of them went around through Texas for a time. Uh, we're pretty sure that, that Dave, again, spent some time uh, also over New Mexico, but also around in Texas. There's rumors that he and Wyatt Earp actually uh, got involved in a scheme where they were selling uh, fake gold bricks to make money down in Mobiti. Our Mobiti story Go. continues. Yeah, old Mobiti. It just doesn't end, does That's it? That's another little nexus uh, that keeps So he's up. down here selling gold bars? He's trying to. Uh, him and, and, again, supposedly Wyatt Earp, they decide they're going to get a scheme. They're... They're painting bricks gold, and they're just... <laughs> they're not real gold bars. No, man. of course not. They, they didn't have any gold, but they... Uh, they're, they're painting. Totally, they're painting these totally bars. Fraud. However they were doing it. It was and pure fraud on their part. Fools, Trying, fool's gold. The problem is there weren't as many fools as they thought there might be. <laughs> and they, they got run out, didn't work, didn't make any money. And uh, over time, Dave again winds up back in Dodge City. Okay, so he's back here in Dodge City. What year is that? Oh, by now we're talking uh, 1880, 82, 83. Uh, by this point... Oh, that's the time of the Saloon Wars. Absolutely. Dave acquires... Does he get called back by Luke Short, or is he just come back on his Dave's own? already there. Okay. He's already there. Matter of fact, he is assistant marshal under Jack Bridges. I, oh, he's, he's got his marshal badge He's back. got the badge back on. Now he's Dave. liking that, I imagine. Dave's a man of law. He, he starts to settle down just a little bit. Not too much, mind you, but just a little bit. He invests in a, uh, a saloon, a dance hall in town. Uh, he 
starts flirting around with uh, Tom Nixon's wife. Whoa, 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 just a second now. I know this Tom Nixon. We, right. we we talked about Tom Nixon, the buffalo hunter. Tom Nixon, the buffalo Tom, hunter. Tom Nixon was a settler in these parts. Oh, yeah. Very. And he owns a ranch outside as early as 1868. Rancher, saloon owner. Tom Nixon was one of the oldest of the old timers. Uh, but but Dave Mathers is trying to make in on his... His wife. Wife. Supposedly. The, uh, is this the second wife or the first wife? Uh, Tom Nixon's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, did he ever have two wives? I, I believe he did, but you know I can't remember. I think it might be his second wife by okay, this point. Okay, so so he's moving in on the second wife. She's fairly young. I mean, uh-huh, she's okay. quite a bit younger than than Tom. Yeah, because he's been around here for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. Tom is so Dave is not aged, but he's definitely seasoned. At this Dave point. is making a move on Tom Nixon's wife. Dave had a thing for married women. I mean, not not the first time <laughs> that he'd done that. I'm wow. not. At this point in in Dodge, not that marriage vows were necessarily all that constrictive for, for some several of them were years. like common law. Oh, many of them. Yeah, they law. just it was kind just of hooked up and right. said, "Yeah, you can sleep here tonight." Absolutely. Uh, Tom, in fact, although he he was legitimately married, and uh, things started brewing back and forth. Of course, the saloon wars that Dave didn't play too big of a part in individually but after that was all said and done uh, as we again as we've talked about through the saloon wars the politics in Dodge changed rapidly uh, politics in Dodge has always been uh, they always changed rapidly yeah, they I mean, always it was, rapidly. It was a swinging door you were on yeah. one side of the fence or the other yeah. and you never stayed there for long well Jack Bridges as Marshall was replaced um, by Bill Tillman as city marshal. Uh, Bill was on the opposite side of the Luke Short faction. And uh, Bill, he actually, now that he's city marshal, he can hire the people that he wants. He fires Dave Mather Ooh. and hires his good buddy Tom Nixon. <laughs> A Little Bit De Todo is a podcast about a little bit of everything for curious minds of all ages. I'm Christina, and you can tune in every weekday to learn about things like Cinco de Mayo, Chihuahuas, and volcanoes in Latin America. Episodes are bite-sized, 10 minutes long or less, and always Latin American related. Subscribe and follow A Little Bit De Todo podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So now you got a conflict going on with the wife. And now you get fired and he gets your job. As if. Oh, there has got to be some sore points. As if Brewing right now needed Woo. anything else to fight about. You know? Oh, my. He's setting it all up. Well, well uh, as this, the politics changed, Dave, by all accounts, wasn't too put out with losing his badge. He still had his saloon to fall back on, which he did, the Opera House Saloon, which was on the north side of the railroad tracks. It was on the good side of the track. Well, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> well, tra- the side nec- of the track that followed the law. Not necessarily any more or legal. It's Again, it goes back to how the laws were enforced, which... Right. Depends becomes, on who was in office. ...becomes the problem. Because uh, while Dave is running the, the opera house, he starts to remodel it into uh, a, a dance hall. Getting more business going through there. Well, the problem is uh, Tom Nixon is also involved at this point in the Lady Gay Saloon. 
Oh, here we go with another Lady Gay Saloon. On the south wow. side of the railroad this tracks Lady in Gay the Sporting Saloon. District. Wow. Oh, yeah. Everybody owned Lady Gay. At one I mean, it's just like turned over. Lady times. Gay Saloon in Dodge City caused more problems than any other bar. I would say. Uh, not, I mean, even the even the, the Long Branch is as famous as it has become. Even it wasn't as, as notable as the Lady, the Lady Gay, Gay Saloon. Uh, not even the Dodge House. But uh, because of that rival faction, one side being on the other side of the political fence, they passed an ordinance. Because, again, Nixon and uh, his partner were friends with the, the people in power, uh, Webster's and, and the reformers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they put out an ordinance that made it illegal to operate a dance hall in the city limits of Dodge City because they were trying to shut down Dave Mather. He was just starting. Of course, the the long, well established dance hall of the Lady Gay that wasn't that wasn't Wait. being shut down. It was the new ones. The new ones. Okay, but that's, that's, that's the same thing that's happening to Luke Short at this time. Exactly right? the same. Thing. I mean, it, it, it's almost like favoritism. Sure it is. Uh, if I own a saloon and I'm on the right side of the fence, I can have my ladies. The- the only reason they're passing laws is to make people that they don't like illegal. I see. So they wanted really to own all of the businesses in town. Right. Shutting and, down the competition. And so that would that would stir a man up. It did. And, and Dave, again, he, he had weathered losing his badge pretty well. That's okay. But this was very pointed. <laughs> he knew where this was going, and he wasn't going to stand for it. So right now we're looking at strike three. Mm-hmm. Dave was done talking. So what he did is he lowered the price of beer to five cents. Every beer that he was selling, five cents, which undercut not only the lady gay, but everybody else in town. Naturally, five cent beer, where's everybody going to go? They're going to, they're going to Dave's opera house. All right. That was so, a good move on his part. Though. It was a wonderful move on his part. Yeah, he was still making get, money hand over fist. He's going to shut me down everywhere else. Right. I mean, why not? Offered beer for five cents. And, uh, of course, that ticked off the the establishment mm, uh, of, politics the, of the Lady Gay. Always comes back to politics and die. So what they did is Nixon really started pressuring all of the local brewers and the the uh, the wholesalers to stop selling beer to Dave Mather. So well-established citizen in Dodge and on the, on the other side of the mm-hmm. fence starts his political maneuvers. Right. The problem is he had the power to do it, and yeah. it was starting to work. They were putting the squeeze on, on Dave. Now that might have been strike four right there. Uh, it was. They weren't even counting strikes anymore. It was somebody was about to round home, and I'm talking to Pearly Gates kind of. Oh, boy, I can hear it coming. And it it was getting hot, hot between the two. Everybody in town knew it. That sooner or later, uh, Dave Mather and Tom Nixon were going to come to blows. And finally. Tom sees sees it coming, and he knows the reputation that Dave has, and Tom takes a shot at it. Tom Nixon takes a shot Tom at Dave Mather. Tom Nixon takes a shot at Dave Mather. Okay. Well, but he's, I mean, he's got the upper hand. I mean, if you think about it. Sure he does. 
But but he still takes a shot at it. I'm sure he does. Wow. Because this this is not the high noon at gun the high noon gunfight on either end of the street and waiting for the other. It's in to the back first. back alleys in a shaded. Dark. If you need to kill somebody. You, you just need to do it. You just ambush them. Because they're going to kill you. It, uh, okay. it wasn't necessarily an ambush. I mean, you knew, they, they you knew it was other. coming, so you might as well just finish the business. That, that was the idea. God. Well, Tom missed. He, he grazed. He grazed Dave. Uh, Tom was actually he was arrested. They posted bond. But Dave. Now, the had, buffalo hunter actually missed? He, he missed a shot. Oh, that was his mistake, I would say. That was absolutely his mistake. And oh, I'm telling you, you don't miss a shot like that when you got one. He paid for it. Okay. He paid for it. Uh, even though he was arrested, they posted bond, Dave didn't press charges against Tom Nixon. Hmm, good guy. No. <laughs> No. That's another plan. Dave didn't want Tom Nixon in jail. Dave wanted Tom Nixon out on the street, uh, open where he could keep an eye on him. Sure. And sure, get his not? revenge yep. when it became necessary. And just a few weeks later, uh, sure enough, they were out in front of the Opera House Saloon. Tom Nixon was likely heading that way to check up on Mather. Mather knew he was coming, came up behind him in the street, whispered behind him just to make his presence aware, and while Tom Nixon is turning around to see who had spoken to him, Dave Mather pulls his gun and fires four shots. And I'm thinking this story, he doesn't miss. Dave doesn't miss. Mm. Uh, One of the four bullets goes right through Tom Nixon's heart. He's dead before he hit the ground. Now, here's the kicker. And, and it's not kicking on Nixon's side because what, he's down on the ground not kicking. One of the most telling... Uh, this story is one of the most definitive stories of Dodge City and how things operate. Because you've got a man who gunned down another man almost uh, uh, in the back the tops one of the top citizens of Dodge City absolutely one of the, one of the citizens founders of Dodge, of Dodge City outright murdered in the street four bullets while he was turning around starting while his back was turned and do you think Dave Mather was arrested well i think yeah of course he was right well he was he was yeah, right but it was a clear-cut case of self-defense. How was it self-defense? Because weeks earlier, Tom had tried to shoot Dave. Ah, okay. So that Tom had pulled the gun first. He must have had a really good lawyer. If everybody knew the judge. If Dave didn't shoot Tom, sooner or later, Tom was going to shoot Dave. That was, that was just a well-known case of self-defense. Wow. So no matter who shot who at that point in time, it was going to be self-defense. Dave got off scot-free. Everybody would got off scot-free. Whoever shot who and killed who, they would have got off scot-free. Well, This it time it just had, happened to be Nixon. Had Nixon come back and shot Dave, I don't know that that would have worked the same way. It may not. Because it was already, it, the self-defense he'd thing already, he'd already He'd already planned right. the killing, the assassination. Mm-hmm. You might be right. So it maybe would, Nixon is... Absolutely premeditated. Maybe Nixon is better off where he was at that point in time. 
So he wouldn't have any more troubles after that. One of the great leading citizens of Dodge City is no more. Uh, Lady Gay goes up for sale. And (laughs) again, we can tell more stories of Lady Gay ad nauseum, but... uh, Sorry, go ahead. Okay, I I think uh, that's it for now. Uh, Remember to check out... uh, all of our Wild West podcast shows on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, AnyPod at Amazon, or at wildwestpodcast.buzzsprout.com. We would like to conclude our show by thanking our sponsor, boothillproductions.com. And if you would like to sponsor our show, just send us an email at wildwestpodcast at gmail.com. We would like to conclude our show by reminding all of our listeners to check out upcoming digital bookstore by visiting boothillproductions.com and select publications. The Battle of Cimarron is our newest digital book edition and can be pre-ordered at amazon.com and will be soon available at iBookstores. Remember, as always, drink responsibly that's uh thanks for listening to our podcast this podcast is licensed under a creative commons attribute non-commercial license you can learn more about the legends of dodge city by visiting our website at worldfamousgunfighters.com or visit us at boothillproductions.com and i'm thinking that's the longest closing i've done thus far probably